Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. We'd like to take a second to thank our sponsor, Mauser Electronics. Not only does Mauser stock the world's widest selection of semiconductors and electronic components, they also offer an original content series called Empowering Innovation Together. Each month, EIT takes a deep dive into the hottest tech trends, and this month the focus is on 5G. Check out podcasts, articles, infographics, videos, and more at mauser.com slash empowering innovation. What's up, Internet, and welcome back to the Engadget Podcast. I'm Senior Editor Devendra Hardwar. I'm Reviews Editor Sherlyn Lowe. This week, we'll be chatting about Samsung's next, fourth, freaking so, so many events. Samsung's April Unpacked event, where they shoot off a whole bunch of computers. Uh, and we've got some news happening around the tech industry, too, that we'll be diving into. As always, if you're enjoying the Engadget podcast, please be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or your podcaster of choice. Leave us a review on iTunes. That's always super helpful. Drop us an email at podcast at Engadget.com. Sherlyn, I feel like this is all you because you've been so Samsung heavy this week. Why did they have another event and what did Samsung show off? Yo, that's a good question. That was actually <laughs> the first question I asked Samsung um, mm-hmm. when we had like our, our post-briefing Q&A with them. And their answer, now I, I, I'll tell you my answer after this, but sure. their answer is that they're like, oh, PCs are more relevant than ever. <laughs> we feel like we have this unique position mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where, you know, we can blend our mobile stuff with the PC stuff and like no one else can do mm-hmm. that. So we thought we needed a dedicated, this is the right time for a dedicated event. My take is that it's just easy to throw a virtual event and no one else was yeah, doing it. Yeah. So they were. They had like, open time it. to market themselves, right? Yeah. Pretty much it. They yeah. also probably had like, I don't know, they're making money off of these. No, I don't think they're mm. making money off of these, but the traffic to their streams, if you look on yeah, YouTube, yeah. is crazy. Like it does really good uh, views. So mm-hmm. it's entirely, I don't know. They like the cloud, yeah. maybe. It's, That's it's my cloud, thing. right? And. Yeah, everybody talks about you for that morning, right? And it is media that people can use in their videos. Like, it's all for the YouTubers. It's all for the conversation. And they could just reuse this footage, too. So I see what Samsung is doing here. It's really trying to, like, flood the zone with news to make us think everything they do is important, which in many cases it is. I'm not sure if that's necessarily true for the PCs. I know. Uh, Yeah. I I like their PCs, and I've liked them for a while, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I I, I don't know if you've had some experience with uh, the latest Galaxy Book laptops, Dev, but... Not the latest, but you know what, Sherlyn? Like, do you remember, like, 10 years ago when... Windows computers were like not every Windows computer was really good looking, you know, right, and right. Samsung had these like super thin um, Windows PCs that looked a lot like the MacBook Air. And I remember walking by uh, there was a Samsung store in Columbus Circle in New York. And I remember walking by there just to look at those computers because they looked really cool. They're really sleek and thin. I haven't really paid attention to Samsung since then. Are they doing interesting things in the PC world? I mean, this time around, the Galaxy Book mm-hmm. Pro series actually does kind of look MacBook-ish, in my opinion. 
Um, but the Galaxy Book Flex lineup and the Ion mm. and the Flex Alpha, they actually have their own like style to them. They're very, they're square. They're very, very thin. They have nice colors. Yeah. I think Samsung did colors well um, with laptops. I, I still don't think they're as like stylish. I would say as say an HP. You know what's funny is that. Um, they are going edge to edge, but they still have the bottom uh, chin. Yeah, like a little so many, bit. Like so many laptop people, whereas H- Dell and HP at the very least and Aces have done a good job of getting those bezels out completely. So not only the top and the sides, but right along the bottom. And for me, I feel like the bottom makes a big difference, right? Because it's like the screen just flows right into the keyboard. We're mm-hmm. not quite getting that with these Samsungs, unfortunately. So what did, what did Samsung introduce? I was going to say, uh, yeah. for the people who did not hear the news... Samsung introduced like a slew of laptops. At first, I thought it was just a quartet of laptops, which mm-hmm, is the Galaxy mm-hmm. Book Pro series. Uh, these are a clamshell and a convertible model, so the Book Pro and the Book Pro 360, and mm-hmm. both come in either 13 or 15 inch sizes. Uh, so that's the four. And the highlight of these is not only are they Samsung's thinnest and lightest PCs yet, they're also the first with AMOLED screens or okay. AMOLED screens and uh i mean that that technology samsung has been using in its phones for a while now they're bringing it to their laptops Mm -hmm. they were the first company to bring amoled to tablets too like people forget that but the first galaxy tab s i remember going to an event in new york which i think was at radio city music hall where they just like took out an auditorium and showed off these things it was wild and like i remember that it was like 2013 2014 maybe um to see bright OLED coming right from a laptop and only Samsung was doing it at that point. Yeah. On tablets. I, I totally forget mm-hmm. forget they did that on tablets. I might not have been yeah. like around around at the time. You um, review, you definitely reviewed like several Galaxy tablets. I have too, reviewed so a lot of I might have for blocked <laughs> yeah. out the memory of it. Yeah. Um I re- I back then I reviewed Samsung's cameras when they made cameras. Yeah. But yeah. um so 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 the AMOLED, I mean um, is one of the features. And, and Samsung clearly knows its strengths, right? To your point, mm-hmm. they've been doing this. We're the first to do AMOLED on a tablet. We're the first to do AMOLED on a f- this. This is one of their strengths, displays. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's nice to see Samsung do. And I think it's a differentiator mm-hmm. from other PC brands out there. But in addition, the Galaxy Book Pro 360 13-inch, has a lot of caveats, is also mm-hmm. potentially the company's <laughs> first 5G laptop. And I say potentially because they're like, this is our first 5G laptop. They're telling everyone that. Uh-huh. But they have no details on when, <laughs> where, and what type of 5G. So is it sub-6 mm-hmm. or millimeter wave or both? Um, so to me, I, I'm not going to just be like, this is yeah. the world's first 5G PC. Uh, I mean, Samsung's first 5G laptop because you don't seem to actually support it yet yeah it seems like a simpson sketch where you're like so does it have 5g when is it going to be available how does it work and their only answer is yes <laughs> yes 5g yes i don't have uh, any more details to share beyond yeah that. exactly uh, yeah it is funny we're getting all these amoled laptops from them now because i think two or three years ago that's when oled started actually appearing in more notebooks too so mm-hmm. i remember dell and a bunch of others made a big deal when 15 inch oled panels came out again it seems like samsung is kind of behind the pack what is, is there anything special about these screens um in a d- <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. can i tell you my fun hands-on story sure, Dev? Sure. you're gonna love this so <laughs> Uh, Samsung invited us to a very, you know, socially distanced, like a 
following all guidelines sort of a hands-on event in New York. So mm-hmm. we had a one-hour block uh, to go see their Galaxy Book Pro series. And we were briefed before we went to see these things. So one of the, mm-hmm. the a few things that they mentioned during the briefing I, that I wanted to check out include this thing called an intelligent color engine. During the mm-hmm. briefing, they said the display will know what you're doing and then adjust the color output more or less to be uh-huh. suitable for your needs, right? So I was like, okay, how does this work? And they really couldn't give me an answer. So I was like, all right, if they can't, yeah, I'm going to have to see this for myself. Uh, and then the other thing they mentioned during the briefing related to the screen is that there's a privacy screen feature. And uh, I was like, oh, okay, you're, you're like kind of like HP over here because uh-huh. HP has had that feature for a while now. Um, so I went to check this out and uh, <laughs> they couldn't give me an answer during the briefing as to how the color engine worked. I finally found out in the display settings and you look under the, there's this like adaptive display mode, something like that. You choose your color profile. Mm. Uh, it looks like by default, it was set to auto. And then I clicked auto and it dropped down and it showed four other profiles. Vivid, which is the native AMOLED. Um, Natural, which is the sRGB spectrum. Photo editing, which is the Adobe RGB spectrum. And then movie, which is DCI-P3 spectrum. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. basically, you have four modes you can choose from. And I I toggled through all of them and there were like slight differences in each. So it it does appear to work. Um, and then if you set it to auto, I believe the system will just decide which profile to use. I didn't test that, that how is, effective that is. That is weird, by the way, because for like creatives and artists and everybody who's like work depends on color accuracy. If your mm-hmm. system is changing things on you, that would be a little strange. I know Apple kind of does this a little with some of its, um, some of its different color matching features, but yeah. It, yeah, I, I think that's a good point. I think that's why, like, you probably wouldn't set it to auto. And, right, and hopefully right. auto is smart enough to know, like, if you're on Photoshop, just don't keep changing, right? But yeah, totally, yeah. if you're using something where color accuracy is very important to you, stick to your Adobe RGB or whatever DCI-P3 that you're working in and and don't set it to auto. But that was just mm-hmm. one software feature and, and that stands out about the display. But let's talk about this privacy screen, people. <laughs> okay. When I tell you the words privacy screen or secret screen, Devendra, what do you imagine it to look like? I mean, at first I think it's like maybe just a thing that physically, you know, right. hides your screen. But I also know the way HP's works is that if you're not directly in front of the computer, it kind of like, bl- you kind of get a shaded view of the right. screen, right? If you're off angle or something. So I would assume that. Yeah. Right, right. I, 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 that's what I assumed too. And uh, mm-hmm. that's kind of how Samsung described it during this mass briefing, like the press briefing too, right? Where it was like, oh, you know, uh, we hi- help you hide your sensitive information so people <laughs> at an angle can't see it. They definitely mm-hmm. said the words mm-hmm. at an angle can't peek or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, first of all, we, after it took us a while to figure out how to <laughs> enable the secret screen feature, which was we went into the Samsung security uh, app and then went to secret screen uh, and then figured out that there are two options, right? You can do dark screen mode or opacity mode. And then you select your intensity of the effect mm-hmm. and then you hit the keyboard shortcut, which is Windows F11 to enable it. So I did that and then nothing happened. And I was like, what's going on? Turns out Samsung Security, the app, does not support this feature. So I had to open up Edge and then try it again. And I had this mm-hmm. set, I think, to uh, opacity mode at first. I was like, oh, is this? Oh, is this? Uh, when I hit F11, <laughs> the screen just went translucent. 
it was just like, wait, I was not expecting explore edge edge not internet explorer edge mm-hmm. to just go transparent so like i was on the engadget mm-hmm. home page and like the test so you bar, could the see title through bar. to your desktop is that you could see through to the desktop cannot? but in my uh-huh. case it was actually the samsung security app right above the desktop uh-huh. you basically see through the window to whatever is behind it and i was like does this even work like i, I i'm sure people over my uh-huh. be- behind my shoulder can't see but i can't see like <laughs> what, you can't see <laughs> What's going on? Uh, so is that oh, the actual boy. feature? There's no like actual screen blocking feature yep, of Angular that or anything? Is, that is the actual oh, feature. Samsung. Of oh, It's the software layer. Samsung. <laughs> you can choose dark mode, which will dim mm-hmm. the specific window you're on. So, <laughs> I, so it's but, physic- oh God, they're physically uh-huh. changing the screen. So hurting your usability to make things more private. That's great. I could just dim a screen. Anybody can just dim their right. There, you can dim yeah. the screen, which would be faster. Except for, I guess this is like a one keyboard shortcut to quickly <laughs> jump to like ten darkness or something, right? So, I yeah, yeah okay, fine. But that specifically only for the window that you're on or the supported window that you're on, <laughs> I wouldn't use dark mode. I would use the opacity mode because after a while, I sure, figured how sure. to make it work. You'd have to have like a custom wallpaper on your desktop for it to be visible at some point. Um, mm-hmm. It was fun. Like it was fun for me to play with but i don't know if it's going to be useful Mm -hmm. i might have to go to ces to 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 see if it is that reminds me of the days of like (laughs) window blinds and all the windows software accessory things where it's like oh you could just make your taskbar or you can make your windows you know transparent just for fun it's because it looks cool right because i think starting with windows vista they added transparencies and i remember that that's weird it's like samsung's just going right back to that so anyway that's the galaxy Book Pro, what I see more models from them. There's so what, more, what I know. So I yeah. was, I was surprised. And by the way, if you guys uh, listening or watching want more details on the Galaxy Book Pro series, check out my hands-on on Engadget. I try to be as mm-hmm. exhaustive as possible. That looks <laughs> like a review. It's very long. I know it's hands-on. really long, but I still didn't cover every single thing. So if you have questions, mm-hmm. you can feel free to hit me up on Twitter. But so two more laptops from this event, from this unpacked event that we weren't expecting because we weren't briefed on it. These are the Galaxy Book and the Galaxy Book Odyssey. So Mm -hmm. for those who've been following Samsung for a while, you might know that Odyssey is their gaming brand of, I guess, devices and accessories. Um, So this, the Galaxy Book Odyssey, let's start from with that one. That is their kind of gaming centric um, of the two Galaxy Book laptops. The Galaxy Book series is different from the Book Pro, mostly in that it doesn't have an AMOLED and it uses an LCD screen, runs at full HD. The Galaxy Book Odyssey is, I believe, a 15-inch. I'm not sure if there's also a 13-inch. I got to double check that. But highlight here, and truly the only real interesting feature about it is that it will be able to come spec with NVIDIA's GeForce RTX 3050 graphics cards, which, by the way, before That's Samsung's event, yeah, yeah, exactly. We're not even announced. We were checking with you too, Devendra. About yeah, <laughs> there were rumors that hey, Nvidia is gearing up to announce something uh, new, like lower end cards. Mm-hmm. Um, has not been confirmed yet. Well, I guess Samsung just confirmed it. I'm sure Nvidia is pissed. Oh boy, yeah. yeah. They're either. <laughs> I mean, they have to be upset because Nvidia wasn't on stage and at their event. Right, like Samsung right. had a lot of people on stage with them remotely <laughs> or fake. But um, yeah, Nvidia's RTX. 3050 and 3050 Ti are two cards that you can get in the Galaxy Book Odyssey. Um, Of course, given that the cards haven't actually been announced, 
there weren't a lot of details during Samsung's event uh-huh. on like what kind of horsepower you can expect of the out of these, what price they might be able to go for. Yeah. Or, I mean, on their own, obviously it's not an NVIDIA event. Uh, they so we don't really, really light on details in general at this Samsung. Like people didn't know what was <laughs> up. That is that is always weird. They, so anyway, it sounds like these cards. Let me just say, mm-hmm. sound like they're going to be replacing the GTX 1660 and the 1650, maybe. So like the super low tier things. Samsung has dedicated gaming laptops, right? Just called the Odyssey. The, mm-hmm. That's their whole Odyssey line. So a book Odyssey is kind of like a weird in between, yeah. right? Like it is an ultra portable that can, you can play some games on, I guess, if you wanted to. I yeah. totally agree with that take. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that um, book is like their their mainstream line and then book mm-hmm. odyssey like this is the first time i'm here and then and also the design let's talk about this design a little bit if we, just to describe it a little bit this is like from the picture we're seeing it's like a black mm-hmm. lid with this like strange it's a cube there's a little yeah, logo something. that looks like a cube and then there's some kind of like not embossing but some strange like markings on the sides i don't even <laughs> I don't, Davindra, Davindra, tell me this. You've been covering gaming laptops for a while now. And of all the big PC brands, there are, of course, like a ton of, I mean, they all each have their own like sub gaming brands, Mm -hmm. like Dell's Alienware, Asus with ROG. Has the Odyssey brand been something that's like a major player to reckon with in, Mm, in that space? No. No, absolutely not. And in fact, like we, we, you know, I've had chances to review these things and they've just been, we have to be very careful about what we review because reviewing a laptop takes like a week or yeah. two. If it's not fundamentally different than everything else in the market, why am I going to spend time in you? And I've just never really had a reason to go deep on the Odyssey line because they've been very basic gaming laptops. This is kind of cool, I guess, but we're mm-hmm. seeing a lot of other, you know, a lot of other machines like uh, Asus's g series which i really like so the g14 mm-hmm. i reviewed last year that's a three and a half pound 14 inch notebook you know and has mm-hmm. good graphics not just the the lower tier card so we have all the stuff already i just reviewed the g15 i don't know why i should care about this thing yeah yeah i if if it remains the only laptop out there with the 3050 yeah right now yeah then like if that be- yeah. still remains the case when like review units are available we <laughs> it's might. coming in august we're gonna have more by then they, yeah they so i don't know i don't know yeah. if there's any other reason because like every <laughs> other spec about this notebook seems pretty eh, yeah like it's not it looks boring as hell like, it's there's nothing super exciting about the way it looks or anything either it's yeah just, mm. It's not even like got a high refresh rate. Samsung still won't tell us what the refresh rate is. So, yeah, yeah, take the Galaxy. I I mean, I have a feeling that's probably why they didn't brief press ahead of time on the Odyssey, right? Because it's, Mm -hmm. you know, they're probably going to get a lot of questions they didn't want to answer about it. Um, Mm. But the one last laptop that Samsung did unveil is the Samsung Galaxy Book. Basically, think of this as your super starter, no frills notebook out of Samsung's Galaxy Book family. This is the mm-hmm. entry level. But be aware that even though during the event and in multiple press releases, the company says mm-hmm. this starts at $599 or $549, uh, that is for the base model, which will most likely be the Celeron model. The Ooh, specs no. list, yeah, the spec sheet lists. <laughs> A series of Intel processors starting with the Celeron, moving up to Pentium, moving up then to Core i3, i5, i7. So for uh-huh. 549, probably you're getting the Celeron model, which uh, right. not great. We're probably not getting that in the U.S., right? Because I think so, our, our note was it's 800 bucks in the U.S. Starting. Oh, yeah. So we're getting yeah. that in the U.S. for 
uh, in the yeah, second yeah. half of the year. Uh, but not the cheaper like, models. Yeah. Yes. The the Celeron. I think I think Samsung knows that the U.S. will crap all over the Celeron mm-hmm. and Pentium models. Mm-hmm. So we're probably going to get at eight hundred dollars, <laughs> like the i three version. I'm not sure. They don't have details on what configuration. Sure. They just know sure. we're going to start at around eight hundred, and then they put in parentheses price subject to change. So who knows? Uh-huh. Samsung basically can't make up its mind <laughs> at this point. I think it's they saw they probably looked at like their calendar of events and things like <laughs> like when can we announce things uh, when nobody else is doing things. So doing it now is actually pretty good because hey there there are probably going to be some announcements coming from Intel and Nvidia in the coming weeks. So mm-hmm. it does kind of behoove them to be out here carve out their own space to talk about these things. They just can't have details the details we actually want until closer to release, unfortunately. Yeah. You bring up a good point, which is that like Intel and NVIDIA have news. And speaking of these names, uh, Samsung also had like a couple of other people. Panos Pane dialed in. Panos. Yeah. We love him. From Pre-recorded. Yeah. He's great. He came in to pretend to say hi to TM and GB. <laughs> TM Robing, Samsung's yeah. uh, uh, keynote spokesperson, and then uh, Gregory Bryant from Intel's GB. And, mm-hmm. um, the speculation as to why Samsung had a dedicated event, I think, on our live stream chat yesterday, Wednesday, uh, Chris Velasco, our senior mobile editor, said that it could be because they had these commitments to their partners, right? Like mm-hmm. maybe their partners also wanted a stage thing where they could talk about these these collaborations. I know Intel That's usually also, how it goes, yeah. Right. Yeah. Intel also mentioned during the event that it has developed a co-engineering team with Samsung and it's working mm. on new microarchitecture for some sort of mobile chip design we don't know mm-hmm. i want i don't know if this will necessarily put the exynos pc rumors to rest but remember <laughs> that samsung's Please. also rumored to be working on exynos chips for pcs and so. they probably need better graphics so there is mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago folks we talked about intel's huge ambition to be more of a chip foundry company this is part of that, too, because they could be the ones who are building these chips for Samsung. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. It seems like the market's getting really interesting. It would be kind of cool if Samsung had their own ARM chip design with Intel's graphics or something and then you know, use that in future devices. It's going to be an interesting next few years for PCs. Yeah. I, I, I really, really look forward to reviewing <laughs> these things. Truly. Is that is that <laughs> true? So like yeah, let's let's take this all together. Sarcasm. Like Galaxy Book Pro is a MacBook Pro competitor, is sort of like a powerful piece Yeah, it does actually does look it? a lot like a MacBook, by the way. So <laughs> I, I saw the little like preview window screen just for the next for the Galaxy Buds. Looks exactly <laughs> like the AirPods screen oh, no. for the case and battery and everything. But anyway, what do you think of these computers compared to everything that is out there right now? So if you look at the dimensions alone, the Book mm-hmm. Pro series certainly are super thin and light. I think they're lighter than uh, the latest XPS 13, the latest mm-hmm. uh, HP Spectre X360 13, the Galaxy Book Pro 15-inch that I picked up mm-hmm. at the hands-on. I, the second I picked it, I was like, oh, my God. Like, I turned around. Yeah, I was telling yeah. Samsung rep. It it was gram, LG gram level light, but not LG gram level plasticky or, like, flexy. Mm-hmm. So, it, I mean, it feels pretty sturdy and dense while still being light i mean i love for you to like you know get I, your yeah. hands on these at some point i, I want to feel them me. they look they look super light i could just tell just based on the port size yeah, that, yeah these are probably even lighter than like the macbook air or what apple mm. is doing but that means bad battery life folks like that is you lose something by going yeah. for complete so. thinness and lightness and even apple kind of stepped away from that uh with the macbook pro 16 inch right that got heavier 
than the mm-hmm. 15 inch before it. So, yeah, okay, we'll see. They upgraded their charging speed, you know, 65 watt charging. So you get eight hours and 30 minutes. I mean, that might count for something. But yeah, we don't know what battery life will be like yet. I mean, Samsung estimates 20 hours of video playback, 17 hours or 16 hours of average to mix use. So honestly, we'll have to wait till I get one into review before we can make like some of these like vouch for some of these claims but uh yeah i would stay tuned we did have like a little point though davinger you and i about mm-hmm. um what samsung is doing with this pc lineup we complain on this show a bunch about how samsung makes too many damn phones and it does seem like now if you consider it <laughs> samsung makes the galaxy book pro galaxy book pro uh-huh. 360 it also still continues to make its QLED laptops, which are the Galaxy Book Flex, Book Flex Alpha, Book Flex Ion, I believe. Then there is the Galaxy Book and the Galaxy Book Odyssey. Uh, who knows what other laptops might be in store, but that's... They have Chromebooks, you know, they, they have, have things. Chromebooks, yes. Yeah. Gosh, and, and don't forget, I think, I mean, they, they don't want to mention it anymore, but they have a Snapdragon laptop somewhere, too. Mm. They're just Nobody not talking about it. Nobody wants to mention their Snapdragon yeah. laptops. I, yeah. You know, so yeah, I don't think this is, if, if Samsung has like a unified line that's just like, here's Galaxy Book, the Pro is for pros, the yeah. normal book is for, you know, normal Starter, folks, and then yeah. the Odyssey is for people who want to do a bit of gaming. Like, this is nice, this is clean, it makes sense. It's everything else outside of this line right. that is can be kind of confusing. I don't think it really matters to Samsung. Like, they just want to get stuff on store shelves. They don't they don't have Apple stores, you know. They don't have mm. too many Samsung stores. There were there were a couple in New York. But they don't have, like, stores where people go in and play around with all their products. So they just want things that Microsoft can put in their stores and Best Buy right. can put on shelves and people can just buy. You know, Samsung doesn't think like Apple, unfortunately, uh, in terms of overall product visibility and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I Again, mm-hmm. I will say I still have liked the Samsung laptops that <laughs> laptops that I have used, um, but I, if Samsung keeps introducing new models and without simplifying the lineup a little bit, I'm gonna start getting pretty irate, <laughs> irritated. All right, irritated. Yeah. Uh, that is that's gonna be the headline for our reviews of the Samsung <laughs> Too Galaxy many Book laptops. Let's move on to some other news. And I just want to bring up something that happened at Basecamp this week because it ended up being something that took over Twitter and a lot of the conversation uh, in the tech industry. Basecamp announced that they would be basically banning societal and political chatter within their company, Basecamp. So within their like company chat room, Basecamp creates this organizational software, I mm-hmm. believe, for companies, mm-hmm. right? It's yep. project management. It, yep. uh, it It is a way for people to go back and forth and chat about different projects. But they basically banned societal and political chat. They also banned a couple other things that just seem weird, like paternalistic benefits, like fitness, wellness, and education benefits. They said they're no longer going to be dwelling on decisions. Like, it's, it's a weird that? reading that, yeah. Yeah, reading that blog post by founder and CEO Jason Fried or Fried um, just felt a little crazy making because it did feel like these guys from down on high just really dictating the way people should think and speak at their company. And I think what's also really interesting is that, um, you know, Jason Fried and uh, their co-founder, uh, Basecamp's mm-hmm. co-founder, David Heinemer Hansen, he's the creator of Ruby on Rails. He's, you know, CTO at Basecamp. These are people who talk about politics on Twitter all the time. And they talk about, you know, 
work, work environment and how the tech industry is handling things. And um, it's not, they say like they're not banning how people can, you know, what they do or what they speak about outside of work space, you know, on Twitter or elsewhere. But just within work, they're kind of like locking this down. And that this is a really interesting dichotomy because to me it seems like is I thought these guys I thought DHH on Twitter which is his handle mm-hmm. um, I thought they kind of got a lot of the problems we were facing as a society I thought they kind of like were committed to helping us change it but when people are discussing those issues in their house you know in their company they they're like no no, no 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 I don't want to I don't want to think too hard about this so. This is really just interesting to me on a personal level, just seeing how the tech industry works. Casey Newton uh, on his uh, at his newsletter uh, did a little more reporting, and apparently it all boiled down to like this weird named list. Um, they Basecamp employees basically had a list of customer names that they would just make fun of, like a oh. funny sounding name list thing. It's like okay, sure, if you if you have like a Seymour Butts or something, right? Like they they just like. <laughs> yep. They collected a list of that, but apparently there were some Asian names in there. Apparently there were mm. names where things just sounded funny and they ended up like that lasted for years. And apparently the discussion around that list triggered a lot right. of these policies because employees tried to bring it up to them. Some employees took on diversity, um, you know, work on their mm-hmm. own to kind of like mm-hmm. bring it up within the company. It's a small company. They have like 60 people. Mm-hmm. Um, but when they try to bring up the issues surrounding this list with the co-founders, the co-founders kind of rejected that discussion and just instituted this policy. It was like, oh, we're not going to talk about this anymore. I find it kind of weird. I wouldn't want to work at a place like this. Um, also because I don't know what defines political or societal speak. If, you're, if your very existence you know, right. is political, um, if you are a person of color in a tech you know, in a tech company, if you're LGBTQ, if you're somebody who's not like normal cis white guy, you, you you have a political, you know, identity. It is weird how they can just close this off. I don't know if you have thoughts about this, Sherlyn, because I just was a little flabbergasted. Yeah, I have. I mean, I have mm-hmm. questions and let's, let's focus on my two main ones. One, yeah. societal topics basically <laughs> means everything. Literally, everything, like, everything. If I talk about the Bachelor recap the next day, that's a societal thing. It could be because I'm like, oh, look at them finding love or, oh, Colton Underwood came out. Like, uh-huh. come on. Like, how, how are you not going to what? That's too broad, like of a topic to just ban outright. It just feels too harsh. The other question I had was, does this list still exist? Because are they, they just they saying that? They apparently like apologize for this and squash okay. and say it was. The founder said it was their responsibility for letting this go on so long. But, yeah, they haven't released a list or anything. Nobody has leaked it yet. No, I'm we sure don't want to. going to happen. We, yeah, yeah, we don't need the list. It's more like if their reaction to being shown that your employees are doing this started maybe as a joke but turned out to be very offensive yeah. thing is yeah. to just, sorry, we're not going to talk about it. Is That's bad. But if they owned up to it and they accepted that they have a part to play and then, you know, stopped it. Then, mm-hmm. like, I can be a bit more forgiving here and be like, okay, they yeah. tried to do the right thing. And this seems like a misguided attempt. Oh, at- boy. I just I, I just <sighs> encourage everybody, go read Jason Fried's blog post. It is um, one of the strangest things I've read in a very long time. And uh, I hope, uh, I think Coinbase instituted a similar policy, hmm. um, which they're less of an influential company. So a lot of, you know, it didn't get as much uh hubbub but it is just very strange to me um i have to say i think i'm i've been 
pretty lucky to work at places where we could talk about things. And certainly here yeah. at Verizon, we, we talk about all sorts of things because we kind of have to because different types of people, that's your customer base, you know, um, mm -hmm. or that's your audience. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm just uh, just a little weirded out by that. Uh, but let's move on to something else. Newsletters. Okay. So many newsletters. Mm -hmm. We just brought up Casey Newton, uh, formerly of The Verge, who has his own Substack newsletter now. Um, you may have noticed a lot of your you know, favorite writers, a lot of prominent folks are moving away from their media companies and towards Substack newsletters. Uh, that includes prominent writers like uh, Charlie Warzel, formerly mm. of the New York Times, Ryan Broderick, he does Garbage Day, Kim Zetter, who's a great cybersecurity reporter from Wired. Um, a bunch of folks have moved over to do their own thing with mm -hmm. newsletters on Substack. And I just also want to point out here, too, a really cool collaborative thing uh, with those writers and also Nick Qua, who does the Hot Pod, um, you know, kind of industry podcast industry thing. Mm -hmm. Um analysis uh they have a collaborative discord called side channel which is just if you're a subscriber to any of their properties you could get onto this discord board chat with other you know chat with other followers and readers chat with these writers they uh they kind of host events they introduced side channel with a zuckerberg interview <laughs> which seems like a pretty big like very justifying event. Um, I've played around in this thing. I subscribe to Hot Pod. I think it's really cool. But it is it is funny to be in like just an IRC chat with <clears throat> you know super nerdy news people who like these writers. Um, it reminds me of being on AOL back in the day when I would just like find little chat rooms for uh, you know for anime series and mm -hmm. games and stuff like that. <laughs> I thought we were supposed to hate newsletter, or I thought we were supposed to hate email, right? But it seems like newsletters have made a huge comeback, especially with Substack. Do you have any thoughts about like this overall trend, Trillin? Like it is, it is a little weird for us to talk yeah. about it because it is sort of like, it is kind of in media, but I also yeah. think it's an important technology trend that's happening right now too. I, I, I mean, I think we're just talking about things that affect people and how they get information. So that's fine. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing. The, the thing you talk about newsletters kind of resurging, it's been happening for a few years, I think, because yeah. um, I remember back when, you know, newsletters went away uh, and then SEO became the whole thing. And then like, then they started coming back. I remember a, a company I was working for was like, oh, we got to figure out newsletters now because like they're, yeah. they're what works. People like them, people click them, they mm -hmm. drive traffic. So but like that's that's newsletters as a marketing vessel, right? Yes, like as I hate a, that. as yeah. a way to just like push links to your stuff. And hey, we do that in Gadget. Everybody does that. It's, it's right. kind of an important thing. This is more a trend of newsletters as I am a writer. You know, I right. am and a I write directly of to and for you. Yeah, and I'm so, yeah making stuff directly for you, my you know dear reader who wants to pay for it. it that right. is a little like, new and different. Yeah. Like going full indie and relying on the newsletter mm -hmm. as your sole platform, I think is what you're talking about. And that's certainly yeah. a more recent trend. Um, I mean, back in the day, I was talking about more like a Dan Primack, that sort yeah. of a newsletter. But yeah, yeah. no, this, uh, I mean, the whole moving to Substack <laughs> thing was was a thing that I was always a little bit like feeling a little eh about because it, it means that like you start to have to trust individuals and you mm -hmm. have to pick I mean, there is pros and cons. You pick, to, you choose to follow who you like and who you like the voice of, which mm -hmm. for some people, that's how they they uh, understand the world, right? Like they need someone they like and trust to make sense of it for them. And that's fine. But this person, like individuals 
and organizations are both fallible. But my gut feeling is the way we work at Engadget is we have like checks and balances. We have people mm-hmm. to do fact checking. We have you have you know, editors. Which we have is editors. You don't have as an independent person basically exactly yeah. and i mm-hmm. i can like when i don't know if a little thing i can go to davindra and be like hey davindra do you know about this gaming laptop yeah. and know, i could just ignore can tell me. i have the power or, to do that yeah that's there's yeah. that but he can also be helpful and help me which he does yeah um and uh, you know i have other teammates for things just content for a gaming question for example so when you move to a sub stack you you know a you can narrow your focus and just be like mm-hmm. the the authority on this thing but it also does mean that you're responsible for all of that work. And so you, for readers, you should hopefully understand that's the change, right? You don't really get the breadth of knowledge. You don't maybe get the same fact-checking resources as you might have at, say, a New Yorker magazine, which mm-hmm. which is why I like organizations like that, because yeah, those yeah. publications with huge fact-checking teams, that's mm-hmm. who I get my info from. Yeah, I just I think it's an interesting trend also because we're seeing things like Patreon and other ways yeah. of paying creators directly, which, hey, Wasn't I it? subscribe yeah. to a whole bunch of Patreons. I help run a Patreon for my movie right. podcast. Like it is it, I like to send money to people I I love who are yes. producing content. So my favorite yes. YouTubers, I have subscriptions to all their Patreons and things like that. This is just like the Substack, the newsletter change is like that for independent writers it is just interesting. I don't know how sustainable it is. Like, I'll say this because so many Substacks are expensive. They're like fifty to hundred dollars a year annually, or ten, five to ten dollars. Yeah, they're expensive. Or I think around ten bucks a month, five to ten bucks a month. Uh, if you're paying monthly, you're paying a lot of money for individual writers. So I think mm-hmm. you can't really collect a huge collection of these folks because yeah. a, a New Yorker subscription costs you. 100 to 150 dollars a year and you Mm -hmm. get so much more from different writers and different things um it is an interesting trend i don't know how viable it is but i have to say like i do miss the days of the early internet right where we could produce our own content kind of have a handle of it and it would still get attention so social media and you know things like that have changed the value of a personal website but i do think like the newsletters are kind of bringing things back where like okay you're not coming to my site i'll just throw all my crap to your inbox. Um, I could see combining this stuff with podcasts or something else down the line. Yeah, I'd like to do more of that myself. But it is just a weird, weird trend right now. Um, Go read some. There's Ben Smith at the New York Times did a great piece called Why We're Freaking Out About Substack, which goes into just the sheer amount of money they're throwing at writers. Um, They will give people like upfront payments of like $400,000 to $500,000 to run a Substack for like a year. You know, and um, they will basically that's money they would take out of uh, people potentially subscribing to their to their newsletters. Alternatively, or alternatively, people could just like, you know, grow their channel organically and probably end up making a lot of money with that, too. Just kind of interesting to me, like there is a lot of money in here. I don't know how much of it is sustainable. Also, Substack is a. Uh, wisely i think criticized for a lot of the other people they brought on board too including people who just kind of suck like glenn greenwald and andrew sullivan and people who uh are within a certain conservative echo chamber you know so like there there has been a lot of consternation about that uh substack as a company not quite sure if they'll survive but i do think the there are other um alternative solutions like i think it's called ghost is the newsletter Hmm. like the open source newsletter thing um there's a lot of ways to do this, and I do miss the ideas of uh, – I miss the w- the way of the old web. And, uh, yeah, this side channel Discord thing, 
this is cool. It reminds me of a web ring. It is all these people coming together to kind of share their readers and share their access and things like that. So hope to see more of that. Uh, let us know what you guys think about Substack. Uh, we'll be thinking about newsletters and things too. Like this is the way media is changing. And uh, another old thing that's kind of coming back that I want to hear your opinion about, Trillin. <laughs> old thing. The CES. Old thing. <laughs> I remember CES. We go to CES all the time, right? Oh, boy. Yes. Um, this week... The Consumer Technology Association, the CTA, announced that CES will be returning as an in-person event in 2022 because <laughs> it cannot the hell wait to tell you yeah. to start booking. It's like, for all the love the of God, please come back. Space, yes, exactly. Uh, convention space, all the hotels, all of the just give us your money. The CTA is like, we want y'all to come back anyway. Mm -hmm. Uh, it is supposed to come back as a combination in person and digital event in Las Vegas between January 5th and January 8th. But the press days are going to be starting from January 3rd. And there are apparently some big companies that have committed to going to CES 2022, including Amazon, Google, Intel, Samsung, Sony. These are expected to have a presence, uh, which is interesting. Amazon doesn't usually mm -hmm. have a so-called presence, like a space or, or or news anyway. They might have a booth that I barely ever check out at CES. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, if these companies are going to be there, I mean, it does sound like at least some reporters might have to go out there. <laughs> we'll see. You know what? Uh, I, I, I think Las Vegas is kind of a hellscape to visit and everything, but I miss... Going places and seeing people, Same. Um, you know, if we're vaccinated, if people are vaccinated, uh, my two week uh, post vax timer is ending this Friday. So nice. I'm ready to kind of go do things. Um, yeah. If our vaccination rates are higher, you know, by the end of the year and certainly by January and we can do these events safely, like I would happily go back. But yeah, yeah I'm going to wear a mask the whole time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's the yes, I'll probably anything. just wear, not touch anything, probably wear gloves too, because I don't yes. trust everybody. Same. Uh, we know COVID isn't isn't huge uh, about being transferred over surfaces, but I'm talking about cold and other things. My I'm talking last about shaking hands, years, not, not yeah, happening. shaking hands. My last couple of years at CES, I just never shook hands. Never shook hands. I always yeah. used hand sanitizer. I never got sick at CES um, recently anyway. Yeah. So I'm going to keep that up because it was already Basically kind of a hellscape. Yeah. Just do that forever. I, yeah. I will say this. I mean, I am nervous about some of the variants we're hearing uh, mm -hmm. happening around the yeah. rest of the world. Uh, I know that I was talking yep. to my parents in Singapore and the cases are going up for the variant that came from India, mm -hmm. as well as and a variant India from Indonesia. Is, like horrific right now. It, it is, is horrific right now. Great. Yeah. So if I mean, if we can keep the international travel to a minimum right now, you know, like we might have a chance of not getting a huge we'll import of cases of the variant. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, but, we can also help the international community as a country, yes, which is something yeah. we should be doing, and all the rich countries should be trying to get their vaccine stockpiles and things out there. But no, um, the you know the CTA is aware, right, that people will be nervous. Yeah. I mean, even before COVID, people were getting sick at CES all the time, and all the time. there, but there doesn't seem to be any <laughs> um, guideline right now as to like will they be requiring people be fully vaccinated before showing up, or mm -hmm. you know, that will would be, people from that would abroad. Be, that would be nice if we could confirm that at events like it is excluding certain people. And clearly, if you can't get access to vaccine, that is that's not and you fair, want yeah. one. That's not right. fair. That's not great. But to restart kind of the world and how some of these meetings work and, you know, things like that, like 
it does make sense to kind of host these things just for folks who who are vaccinated. But we'll see. I don't. I or, need to or think get more about testing. the ethical. Yeah. 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 Maybe administer tests for people or something. You know, find a way to let people mm-hmm. have a chance to to prove that they're healthy enough to come. I guess it's um, just it is so complicated. It's going to be and CS is already such a mess. Like imagine juggling all these other considerations as you're talking yeah. about news embargoes and running around Jeez. all over Vegas and stuff. Ugh. And having to worry about not catching a deadly Other disease. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I guess it's going to happen and uh, we will see. I'm, I'm, I'm personally quite excited to go back to Vegas if for no reason other than they're opening a Singapore hawker style <laughs> food call Don't you, in you Vegas. You get a lot of that in New York and New Jersey. I know, but like on. resorts, they have like names yeah. or, and types of food that I don't get access to pretty easily here. So... I'm excited. I mean, like, we'll see. We'll see. I don't trust any food in Vegas because they're really. It's not like it's near the ocean or anything. Like seafood there. There's a lot of stuff that is just it can't. It physically can't be fresh. So that is that is just a little tough in Vegas. But okay, I've had good Um, food, but like steaks, you know, like not yeah, yeah, like other things. Let's talk about more heartwarming stuff that got announced this week on. Wednesday, April 28th, I believe, uh, Microsoft announced a new five-year commitment to help bridge mm-hmm. what it's calling a disability divide for, you know, including people with disabilities in society, in the digital society in particular. So our article on this focused on kind of the AI side of things, but I kind of wanted to run through some of the other efforts that Microsoft is going to commit to over the course of the five years. So it's going to use AI, like I said earlier, in Microsoft Word to kind of uh, detect and, um, I guess, convert and like modify the heading styles uh, to make things easier for people who are blind and have low vision. So, you know, to more clearly demarcate sections, for example. And uh, it's also starting up a new fund to help people who can't afford assistive technology uh, which is actually pretty nice. Like assistive technology so far can be pretty expensive. Like you want a, a wheelchair that's motorized and it's connected to Bluetooth. Yeah. Man, like that's going to cost you. And insurance doesn't always cover the best wheelchairs, right? So like I think it's nice for Microsoft to consider that. Um, there's going to be a new Excel navigation pane for screen readers that'll make pe- you know make it easier to discover and navigate things in a spreadsheet. Uh, is expanding its immersive reader. There are new LinkedIn features that include auto captioning for live broadcasts on LinkedIn, um, a dark mode, which is not just an assistive feature, but helpful for yeah. people who yeah. like dark modes. Um, and yeah, a, a bunch of other stuff, including like pilots uh, and tests at uh, University of Illinois and Urban Airband Initiative that provides affordable broadband and new sign language video call capability through Microsoft stores so that their deaf and hard of hearing customers can shop more easily, which is just beneficial for them. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's a straight, like buy more stuff from us, but it's also nice to be able to help shoppers who might not have the same, you know, hearing capabilities as anyone else. So like, it was nice to see all of this, um, being introduced or, or, you know, explained, I guess, explored or <laughs> committed mm-hmm. by Microsoft. And yeah. I, I kind of wanted to applaud that and partly also shout out that like Microsoft's chief uh, accessibility officer, Jenny Lay Fleury, is a person we've, you know, interviewed twice at least now. And mm-hmm. she's just a really great champion for, uh, you know, 
accessibility and assistive technology and the rights of people with disabilities. So I'm not surprised that Microsoft some is is doing such a good like to me what looks like a good job at least. Um, so that's a piece of good news. It's bit, I mean, they've been doing this for a while too. We've talked about yeah. the uh, their Xbox controller and kind of oh, the yeah. way that's opened up. Uh, gaming for people who can't hold a normal controller. So, hey, I think this is one of the good things Microsoft has been doing for a while, mm-hmm. and I hope they stick at it. Like, as we've covered Build, as we cover other Microsoft events, like, I think what's interesting in the post Satya Nadella Microsoft is that it's become more of a human centered company, not just like a company that's like, oh, we got to be in mobile phones because Apple's in mobile phones and we got to do this and mm. we got to crush that market. It's more like, right. How do we actually help people with their technology? And if that means leaving mobile phones and bringing our apps to the actual platforms that people are using, maybe right. that's how we could be successful and how we can actually help people. And they've been doing a good job of at least following that line of thinking. So I hope, uh, yeah, I hope they can actually commit more to this and I want to see more of this from them. Okay, so in terms of working on, I spent a bit of time with Returnal, which is a new PlayStation 5 exclusive uh, by the developer Ooh. Housemark. Yeah, it is a terrible name. Terrible name. <laughs> I hate the name. But the game itself is really cool. It is sort of like a uh, it is a roguelike similar to Hades, a game we talked about last year. And, you know, it is sort of like it's a game about dying. It's a game where you'll die a lot and you'll kind of restart from the same uh, the same starting point. But every time huh. you go through, you'll either have more experience in terms of actually knowing how to play the game better, or you'll get some items that can actually help you move further. It is really cool. It is a combination of like sci-fi horror. There's a lot of alien and aliens in here. There's like Prometheus and things like that. Um, You play as a, uh, like a female astronaut who is just out there. She crash lands on this planet. Everything wants to kill her. She's stuck in a time loop. Uh, Don't know what to do, but there's also like, things haunting her there are sequences where like you find a 20th century house you know on this alien planet and it's her childhood home and you're like "Mm, what what is going on there there's like some great like psychological horror as well uh it is a fun shooter feels really good to play uh when i talk about games sometimes i like to talk about just the way a game feels you know the act of moving and running around and shooting and doing things i think back to like some of my favorite games from when i was a kid like uh super mario world or um castlevania symphony of the night you know games where just the movement and existing in that world felt good this really feels a lot like that it is a you know third person behind the camera game but it has all of these sort of like shootery elements that housemark has done with some of their earlier stuff so they're known for like bullet hell shooters like super stardust hd and stuff now it's like in a in like a third person thing it looks much more impressive um it is very wild to be you know facing enemies that are just like spewing walls of bullets right at you and you have to move quickly or deflect them or you know jump through them or something like that so i love the movement love the shooting it's a very hard game it is so hard. It is so frustrating at times. Like there are runs of this game where I've put in like an hour or an hour and a half and just one stupid misstep makes me lose the entire time. And I go right back to the beginning. So it is reminiscent also of like the, the Souls games like Dark Souls and Demon Souls and everything. But honestly, I find it more engaging. I think maybe because I just like sci-fi more than dark fantasy. Um, but I can't stop playing it even though it keeps punishing me so much. I will have a review up on the site soon, probably by the time you're hearing this. So check that out. I think it's really cool. If you're waiting for a good PS5 exclusive, Returnal is probably going to be worth your time. So 
there's that. And uh, also want to take, uh, I'll be writing up soon something about the Moxie robot. It is like a child-centered robot. It is a cute little friend <laughs> that you can buy for your child and it'll like talk to them. It'll, you know, play lessons with them. It It is like sort of like having a Wally or more like actually it looks like Eve from Wally having uh. a robot friend that you can interact with. It is a cool idea. Um, I, it's I need like to, that like, Black Mirror my... toy from the mm-hmm. Miley Cyrus episode. Yeah, it has like it has cute arms. It moves. It animates really well. It has a big face that is basically just a giant projector screen. I don't even think it's LCD, um, but it has a face that's like really expressive and really cute. Like it moves and acts very normally. And it is something meant for kids. I tried to introduce it to my daughter Sophia. Um, she she would have none of it. Like yeah. she, she started crying mm-hmm. immediately as I turned it on. So <laughs> I have to play with this uh, kids toy by myself down here in my office. It's really cool. I'll be writing it up soon. Um, I wonder. <laughs> yeah, it, it's kids are kids she, are interacting. She, you can have so lessons. She's, yeah, she's terrified of it. She is terrified. This of it. is hilarious because my first of all, my my first instinct as we're looking at the kind of like a. <laughs> video for this robot i i was at first terrified of it but the venture you were like it's cute and i'm like okay you know what i can i can suspend my skepticism to to say maybe it's cute but the fact that like your daughter was terrified of it she's she's got the same reaction as i initially <laughs> did this thing looks kind of like one of those like old school teletubby toys mm-hmm. you know like when poe would be like whatever the hell i'm not gonna make a pose sound right now but but it's like a it's like an animatronic you know the names amazing yeah i i know all of them do you want to tell i can tell you all of them nope tinky nope. winky dipsy shut lala and po shut it down <laughs> um no that's what it kind of looks like the head shape and uh uh-huh, the, but but uh-huh. but bulkier and and stiffer it's just it's just good it kind of yeah. looks like the spawn of something unholy <laughs> It is uh it it is something. Well, I'll say my daughter loves uh, gadgets and tech stuff, but I think robots in particular freak her out. Like when she was a really young, a Roomba would just terrify Aww. her, and also loud things. Kid babies don't like loud things, but no. she's learned really quickly what the Roomba was, and <laughs> just at one point, just saying the name Roomba would make her cry. So it's like she, oh, no. yeah, she is like the robot resistance. This is a generation of kids That's ready awesome. to fight against the robots when they oh my God. take over. <laughs> And be sure to check out our live stream if you want to see uh, you know, a video of what this thing looks like. Yeah, but yeah, that's what I'm working on. What are you working on, Trillid? Yeah, I, I I am working on getting a PS5 all over again to play that game. Now I, I still don't have a <laughs> PS5, and I would like to play this game Returnal if it ever hits other platforms. That would be fun because that's my kind of game. It sounds like a lot of fun. Um, I have I I I'm working on reviews, a lot of reviews, and I can't really tell you guys about it. But also coming up is a bunch of events. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I'm sure you guys can mark your ca- you you have maybe marked your calendars for them. Um, but yeah, that sort of stuff. I just all kinds of stuff <laughs> I can never tell you guys about because I'm not sure uh-huh. whether it's breaking embargo to talk about them at all. <laughs> you have all so, this cool stuff, secrets. You have secrets, yeah. Always, yeah, secrets. And I'm mm-hmm. working on a. a, a myself there you go <laughs> let's move on to our pop culture picks sherlyn what do you what what do you have to shout yes. out this week so i was uh thinking on what my picks were this week and i was like wait what like I have been such a boring person this week. I've done nothing new or interesting. So I was going to go back to one of my older picks, except because I banked some of these picks. Then I realized that this weekend I actually saw... Now, this might not be a pick. This is just I saw Uh something that's new. 
uh, Mortal Kombat, the movie. Have oh, you yeah. seen this yet, yeah, Dendro? Yeah. I have seen Mortal Kombat. We actually just reviewed it. Do you like it, it? So thank you for bringing it up. Yeah. It is, uh, I, I didn't hate it, was, it. Yeah, exactly. I didn't hate That's it. I'll thing. put it that way. Like, it, it's, it's, it's entertaining to a point. I really like a lot of the cast, including my man, Joe Taslim. Uh, mm. Like, he is, as Sub-Zero, just kicks a ton of ass. Yeah. But, a lot of great martial artists, a lot of great like Japanese, uh, like samurai film people mm-hmm. too, like Tadnobu Asano are in this. It is not as fun or campy as right, the right. 1995 or 96 movie, but right. I had fun with it. I just wish uh, this movie has good choreography. There's some cool yeah, action yeah, yeah. set pieces. The fights are great. They, the fights are great, but they don't know how to edit. So it's like it's like the difference between watching, you know, a Hong Kong film or something or an Asian martial arts film where it's like, oh, you know, to like let a shot last for three to five seconds where you can actually see this actor knows how to kick some butt versus this movie where like I feel like there are five cuts in between somebody starting a punch and ending a punch. It's just a little too much. Like, let me see the action, please. Right. It's almost yeah. like, they, like that's it? where they wanted to bring the camp in, right? With the cuts. Mm-hmm. It's like, here you go. One punch will take five cuts because that's our <laughs> idea of camp. I, I, yeah. I think this movie definitely, like you said, it takes itself a bit more seriously than the earlier uh, Mortal Kombat version. But I, I, I enjoyed the story that they tried to set up. Uh, even though it was thin, flimsy, mm-hmm. and and I, I just like stuff that's set in this mythical, you For know, sure. strange land. And uh, but what, what a great cast! Louis Tan, Louis mm-hmm. Tan, so many, so many people. I love Shin seeing Han, in a, a Singaporean, movie by uh-huh, the way. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh Played the ultimate baddie. I, I mean, look, I, I had a fun time. Not necessarily like this is this won't get like an Oscar or whatever. I don't think it's not like that sort of caliber mm-hmm. of movie. But it was a fun ride. It's one of those where you can just set yeah. it and forget it in the background, but also still like veg out. My veg my out, chill out. yeah. Mm-hmm. My non-pop culture pick and an actual pick is uh, a while ago I was doing some shopping. This was months ago. And I didn't want to buy clothing from brands that were very, um, I don't know, just not using great practices, right? Mm-hmm. Either, I don't know, sweatshops are still a thing anymore, just as long as they're not still very definitely the still a thing, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I just wanted to stay away from that. So I was asking around for people who knew like good, and I just wanted to diversify the brands that mm-hmm. I bought or shopped at. And I was asking around for uh, recommendations for brands, and I got a lot of good recommendations on Twitter, but our senior commerce editor, uh, Valentina Palladino, actually, I think she's commerce editor, she recommended this directory called goodonyou.eco. It's basically Mm. a directory of brands uh, that you can buy clothes or other stuff at um, or accessories at, and uh, they're all from companies that are socially conscious, environmentally conscious, trying to do the right thing. So they use the right materials. Their practices are green and and environmentally friendly. Um, And it's a good way also just to discover new brands that you might not have heard of before because there's so many brands out there. And I'm sick to my stomach if I have to shop at another like Shine or like Wish. You know, that sort of like fast fashion sort of brand. I just can't do (laughs) it anymore. So... I mean, if you if you were like me and looking for a place uh, to do that, the good on you dot eco directory might be a uh, might be a source of a resource. Cool, I'll check that out too. I'm always looking for like new things, Roland. So thank yeah. you for that. I just wanted to shout out a couple of things. I've been catching up on Carol and Tuesday, which is a show I believe I've mentioned before. It is the you know the latest mm. series from the creator of Cowboy Bebop, Shinichiro Watanabe. It's about two girls on Mars who just want to start a band. That's it. It's about music. Oh. It's great. Um, I oh, kind of fell off. Great. Like, yeah, it's an amazing looking show. 
great animation. Animation is by Bones, the studio that did Cowboy Bebop and a bunch of other like big anime series. But yeah, it is, it really leans on the music thing, which I think he had a lot of fun with with Cowboy Bebop. Lots of great pop music in this. It is about girls just trying to like make their way, like trying to make music um, that will make themselves feel better and kind of change the world. Mm-hmm. It is really cool and inspirational. The music kicks ass like i think it's really good not it's not just like j-pop like there's a lot of good like pop music in general in here a lot of good tunes uh you know that that kind of straddle very different genres so check it out i really like carol and tuesday it is on netflix right now nice and uh also just i don't know i want to shout out falcon and winter soldier on disney plus I'm super disappointed with the way it ended i think as a series it is a complete mess but uh hey it's done And they announced another Fal- like Captain America movie because it's it's going to be Falcon, yep. you know, as Captain America. I have to say, the saving grace of this uh, of this show is the great uh, Carl Lumbly, who appears. Oh. Uh, I won't say what role he's in, but whenever he is on screen, um, he he was a you know side character on Alias. He was Sidney Bristow's partner on oh. Alias. He starred Mantis uh, in Mantis in the '90s. It was like a '90s sci-fi show. He's a great actor who just adds so much weight and pathos to every scene. And the character he plays in this series, I think, is really good and adds a lot of complexity to the way we think of super soldiers. Because, yeah, it turns out um, a lot of people ended up being heroic soldiers in the military, but also especially for soldiers of color. They were vilified and the American government did not support them when they came back and the public certainly didn't either. And, uh, yeah, Carl Lumbly plays a character where that the weight of that has basically destroyed his life. And I wish we had more time with that character. And I wish this series was smart enough to kind of explore some of the things it introduced early on. Like, I think the pilot is very strong, but man, does it just like fall apart midway through? I think they had to like rewrite the show because of COVID and things like that. And you could tell, like, it is just kind of a mess. And I didn't really care for the finale or anything, but yeah, if you want to stay up to you, up to, you know, what's new with the mcu i guess you'll have to see this i just don't think it was that great i wish it was more like wandavision i think i mean i do think wandavision was definitely a lot stronger Mm -hmm. uh than this but i do like that this series dealt with some more uh serious issues i guess with with like i mean kind of Kinda. Sort of. It t- it, it tries it to start talking about them. Yeah. I, I wonder if they're going to go to you know like try to explore you, it a bit more. Hopefully, maybe. Did you Who finish knows? it, Sherlyn? I finished it. I'm all yeah. Okay. Um. I I might have forgotten most of what happened in the last episode though. Because <laughs> it's completely forgettable. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. I, I had to keep rewatching it because I kept uh-huh. like, the action just kept happening and I was like, oh wait, I missed all the action. Let's go back to the start again. Mm-hmm. Um. But but I I mean I like that like. I think the arc with Bucky is interesting and I think uh, Sam Wilson's arc is also interesting. I just don't know if, you know, they spent enough time and TV mm-hmm. is the format for you to like kind of dwell and, and explore these is. issues and their impact. So mm-hmm. it's interesting. A lot of the commentary I saw on Twitter around Falcon and the Winter Soldier was that it could have either just been a movie or like it needed to be longer as a TV series and that it was either just kind longer, of halfway. maybe longer would be better, but I also feel like halfway through the show, it also wasted a lot of time too. So I do think right. the writing was just not there to mm-hmm. keep it like to, to actually say everything they want to start saying from the first episode, the writing just kind of fell apart. So there's that totally. also worst, worst goddamn suit in the MCU. You'll see it at the end. I hate the suit. Oh, oh, I that one. The final- <laughs> Really? I hate the final suit. Oh, yeah. oh, wait the 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 last episode um, for <laughs> for for Sam. You're not you're not talking about the other. You're talking about the. I'm talking about for Sam. Okay, good. But, yeah. I hated it too. I hated it too. Okay, hated good. It. 
hate it. It's right from the comics, and it looks bad there, too. Well, that's it for this week's episode, everyone. Thank you, as always, for listening. Our theme music is by game composer Dale North. Our outro music is by our very own Terrence O'Brien. The podcast is produced by Ben Elman. You can find Devendra online at... At Devendra on Twitter, and I podcast about movies and TV at the Slash Filmcast at SlashFilm.com. If you want to tweet me pictures of cake, please don't. It'll just make me hungry. <laughs> but I'm at Sherlyn Lowe on Twitter. Email us your thoughts at podcast at Engadget.com. Leave us a review, please, on iTunes. And subscribe on anything that gets podcasts, including Spotify. Once again, we'd like to take a second to thank our sponsor, Mouser Electronics. Not only does Mouser stock the world's widest selection of semiconductors and electronic components, they also offer an original content series called Empowering Innovation Together. Each month, EIT takes a deep dive into the hottest tech trends, and this month the focus is on 5G. Check out podcasts, articles, infographics, videos, and more at mouser.com slash empowering innovation. Whatever the hell, I'm not going to make a pose sound right now.